Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Great to have you with us today. Sponsored by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf online at sunburymotors.com. Time now for our play-by-play call of the day. Now the 3-2. Swung on, hit on the ground, and it went off the glove of Lopez. And one run scores, two runs score Wade. The ball gets away from Gallagher, and on to third goes Higgy. The ball took a bad hop and hit Lopez. It may have hit him right in the face. He tried to get the glove up, and the ball caromed away. So two runs score, and the Yankees have an 8-5 lead. Yankees became the first team ever to blow a save four times in a game. The 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th innings, and win. Only one other time had a team blown a save four times in a game, and that was a game with the 1995 Houston Astros. But the Astros, the fourth time through, lost the game. The Yankees are the only one ever to blow it four times in terms of blowing a save four times and still win the game. Luke Voigt stepped up uh, with Anthony Rizzo out last night, and the former Spike delivered a big base hit to knock in a run in the seventh and delivered a two-run homer. Big win for the Yankees as they keep rolling. All right. Our thanks, by the way, to Jennifer who uh, gave us a like on Facebook. Jennifer, thank you very much for that. Kirk Herbstreit. You know him as really the, the voice of college football on ESPN. But you may not know him. And Out of the Pocket is his new book. I had a chance to talk to Kirk Herbstreit about that. Kirk, welcome to the show. Great to have you with us. Well, that was probably the that was the only way I would probably would be willing to do this. Um, you know, I, I never really thought that I would write a book until maybe you know after I retired. Um, and he approached me in the middle of quarantine when we really didn't know what was going on. It was kind of a good time to reflect, and um, because I'm comfortable with him, I think that was the key for me being someone who's a kind of a shy kind of a I kind of hold a lot of stuff in type of guy yeah and so I needed somebody who I really trusted to be able to open up to and and Gene Gene was the right guy for me this is a book not just about football and game day and huge games and fun stuff like that it's also about just my my life and my journey as a son and as a dad myself as an athlete and as a broadcaster so there's a lot of different kind of layers to it but yeah Gene was Gene was the key to, to me doing it. And by the way, you can start pre-ordering now. It's enti- The book is entitled Out of the Pocket. Uh, when you had a chance to really reflect, which you have to do when you go through, go through something like this, 
how much did your childhood, which is not exactly, with all due respect, you know, for a child, it's it's, yeah. it's rocky. How much did that shape? Yeah. How much did that shape you today as a father and a husband? Huge. Um, you know, just for people that aren't aware, I, I, you know, the movie The Sandlot, I mean, that, that was my life, um, my first seven or eight years. I mean, we, we had three TV stations that back in those days, all of us, my generation. And I mean, we, we were outside playing in the yard, you know, we were, we were playing ball or playing freeze tag or four square or on our big wheels. I mean, it was just one thing to another. And it was, it was heaven for me. Um, we changed sports with the seasons, you know, out in the yard as kids. And I was the youngest one of about <clears throat> probably 15 or 18 kids. And then one day my parents told me that they were going to get a divorce. And and I think a lot of people can relate to that, whether they're going through divorce themselves or, or they, were, you know, they were children when their parents went through it. And, and for me, it, my whole world just kind of changed um, pretty dramatically. We moved out of that neighborhood. And my dad, who was my hero my whole life, you know, he played at Ohio State. He was a captain there. He coached with Woody Hayes. <clears throat> he was the guy that I just always wanted, you know, his approval. Just, just he didn't ask me for it. He was just, I just loved him and just kind of worshipped him. And then all of a sudden, my dad was out of my life. You know, he uh, he just was not real consistent with coming to see us. And he ended up marrying uh, another uh, woman and had another kind of a, a stepchild. And that was kind of his life. And so I was reeling a bit. Um, you know, from probably fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, even into eighth grade, and just moved around quite a bit. I mean, I probably moved schools every year from from about third grade till I got into high school. Wow. And um, you know, as a shy, just a naturally kind of shy, kind of an introverted kid, that's a tough thing to do when when you're when you're asked to move, you know, from one school district to another every every year. And so I just kind of held everything in all those years. I never really talked a whole lot uh, to, to people about how I was feeling, really, even with my own family. And so I think my family's going to read this book and, and be like, wow, I didn't know you, you experienced this, or I didn't know you felt like this, you know. So uh, and I'm hoping that there's kids out there or even parents where this book can help. You know, I, if I told you how shy I was, you would never think that I'd be working um, well, that's yeah. God. That's my next. Que- <laughs> that's my next question because the couple of times that I've you know you know with Penn State's playing and you're around once in a while I'll run into you, and you know and so everybody understands this is a humble no ego down to earth guy. That's who you are, in, at least in my opinion. Yeah. And uh, and so, but you got into broadcasting. You could have had a lucrative career in sales. Yeah. Uh, look, if I had a dollar for everybody who told me not to go into it, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> So yeah, you're probably exactly. in the same boat. Why did you do it, and why did your personality able to come out on the year that maybe it didn't come out when you were younger? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, so I studied business at Ohio State. I was a marketing major. When I got done playing my last year, um, Ohio State was great about setting me up with different relationships and interviews. And I, I had a, I had pharmaceutical um, sales opportunities, I had medical sales, I had Worthington Industries. There's just a number of interviews that I was going through and they were they were going pretty well and at the same time I floated out to a local radio station hey the idea I'd love I grew up listening to talk radio I just loved talk radio and um, really didn't listen to a ton of music but I loved listening to in my case it was WLW in Cincinnati sure. with, with Chris Collinsworth yep. and so when you grow up listening to that 
uh, and listen to the Reds baseball, that was just kind of my, my hot spot. Like that was my, my hobby. And so I floated that idea to this local station and they, they bit uh, a month or two later and said, we'd like to hire you starting August 30th and pay you $12,000, no benefits, <laughs> no future, no nothing. I mean, you have no idea what, what it's going to lead to. Yeah. And then I, or I had these business opportunities that were incredibly lucrative at the time and stability, which is what we all look for when you're young. And I, I opted to turn all those down and, and just followed my, my heart. I, every person I asked to for advice, everybody, family, friends, all said, you're crazy, you got to take this job and, and get your life started. And I just, I couldn't do it. I just, I wanted to do something that I loved. And I, again, I had no idea where it would lead to game day and all these things. But I, I had my lesson that I learned that I try to talk to people about is don't chase money, follow, follow something you have a great deal of passion for. And eventually you'll, you'll make a good living doing it. And at the very least, you'll love what you do. And I was lucky enough to make that choice. And, and um, things changed pretty quickly for me. And once I got my foot in the door with, with local radio and a couple years later, you know, I, I ended up putting an audition tape uh, together, and ESPN brought me in and hired me as a sideline reporter initially in 1995, and then an opening uh, opened up on College Game Day in '96, and I went through that audition as well. And 25 years later, I, you know, I'm, I'm on College Game Day. Yeah. So, and how did I get to that point? I think playing football, being interviewed a lot right. by a lot of reporters, having microphones stuck in my face, cameras in my face. I think it kind of forced me to get comfortable with kind of that being uncomfortable uh, thing. Because um, even to this day, like if you and I right now went to a mall together or went to a, a lunch together, it's almost, I don't know if I, I don't know if I have social anxiety, but I'm not real comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, with the, like when I walk into a restaurant, the last thing I want is for people to like stare at me. You know, I just, I'm just, and not because of what I do for a living, it's just, I'm just not comfortable with that. And so that's the part, the hardest part for me really in doing my job is getting, living in the public eye and people recognizing you and they don't mean anything by it. But when they look at you and it it doesn't make you comfortable, that's, that's been the toughest thing of, of dealing with, with my job. And I've, over time and like anything else, the more reps you get, the more comfortable you get with it. But it's definitely taken a lot of time for me to go from being an introverted kid who wouldn't stand up in class and give a speech, I'll just take a zero, <laughs> to to uh, now talking in front of millions of people, you know, in the falls, uh, Saturday. I, I think most people know that Lee Corso years ago had a stroke. Yeah. And Lee, of course, gutsy Lee Corso battled his way back. But mm-hmm. look, let's be honest, along the way, Kirk Herbstreit, yeah, and Chris did this too, and Reese does it well. When he's needed, you've helped him. What mm-hmm. What is it about that relationship and about your heart that wants to make sure that no matter what, you want Lee to succeed? I just love him. You know, he's 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 my partner. He's been that way for for twenty five years. Yeah. Um, it's not just the on air relationship. If I just had an on air air relationship with him. I, I mean, we would we would have a bond, but I uh, can't tell you how many times I've been at a photo shoot and we're in a car service going from the hotel to the to the set, and it's a 30-minute drive in Los Angeles, and it's just he and I, and yeah. I'm sitting there as a first-time father with uh, preemie twins who were born 12 weeks early, and they're wow. two pounds each, yeah. and I'm just like, coach, like, man, what about this? It, I always refer to it as like going to Yoda 
or Don Corleone, <laughs> uh, with a, with a, this, you go on for 10 or 15 minutes about your concern, yeah. Yeah. and he sits there and kind of nods his head yeah. and listens, and then he gives you two sentences, and it's like, oh, that's what it is. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's like, it's unbelievable. Um, the way he's done that for me. And so when you open up, and again, I don't have a lot of people to open up with, but when you open up and he listens and he hears you and he gives you uh, feedback, um, man, you just learn to really appreciate that, you know? And then it's like anybody else you you form a bond with, you know, you form a relationship and we just happen to work on TV together, but man, I love him like another dad you know i just he's he's a special person to me and anything i can do to ever help him in any way it's, it's the least i could do I, I can relate because i mean not in the dad part of it but you know my broadcast partner jack ham we're very much the same yeah. way we're very much yeah. the same way as you know uh yeah at that uh maria taylor did great work with you uh with you for you and so forth she's moved on holly Rowe gets that spot your thoughts on holly joining the broadcast team i'm looking forward to i mean she's worked on so many big events and so many different uh sports um that i know she's a college football uh junkie and one thing about our crew is we are we are college football junkies like we we love the game we love the scene we love the, 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 the drama and the emotion, and I think she'll fit in perfectly um, because of her passion for the game as well. So, you know, that, in that role, we've had so many talented people that we, we have for a couple years, and then they, you know, they get new opportunities and, and they go on to become stars. And um, looking forward to Holly uh, coming in and being a part of the team and, and just us uh, always making our, our broadcast about the players, about the coaches, about the moment, not about us. You know, I, think, I don't know how you feel about that, Steve. I feel like we live in a world of broadcasters and a lot of times with social media, a lot of people try to make things about them. Yeah. And to That's me, when you're covering a game, I'm sure, and when, when we're covering a game, yep. Man, you want to make it about the storylines and about the, the the third and eight with two minutes yes. to go in the game. Like, yes. let the teams, let the let the players yep. be the story, not us. That, and so, I think she falls right in, in line with that approach as well. That's exactly what I've told my broadcast class repeatedly. And I, I get to teach one here at Penn State. I've told them repeatedly. Oh, good. It's not you. It's not the game starring you. It's the game right. starring the players starring the situation, starring the story, starring the coaches. I said, you're the conduit between the game and the fan. Amen. That's Amen. Right. Yeah, Keith Jackson, uh, joined, he, he was about maybe six to eight months before he passed. He, um, he, was, he was kind of frail, and it was near the end, and we did a Rose Bowl. Yeah, I've been fortunate to do a bunch of them. And, yeah, in fact, and, yeah, I saw him in the hallway. That was our road. Okay, that okay. Was well, I was going to wonder if that was a Penn State yeah, it year was. or not. I, yeah, I couldn't. Okay. It was. Oh, well, you done, saw. You, yeah, I saw him. You 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 saw how where he was at that yeah. stage, and he came in, and he stood behind us um, for maybe ten minutes as we were with with headphones on with, and he was just kind of standing there, and then we had him on briefly to come on, you know, and just kind of say a few words. And then uh, I can't remember if he said it on the air or off the air, but he just talked about how the importance of making it always make it about the play about yes. the about the, the players and the coaches, yep. you know. And and I had already felt that, 
and I think it's from probably your generation, my generation. That's how we kind of grew up. Yes. And um, it just felt so good to hear him, of all people, kind of reconfirm what uh, what we already kind of felt. But, it, man, I, I hold that in the back of my mind. Uh, every broadcast I do, whether it's game day, a studio show, which is a very different job as an analyst mm-hmm. or the game, um, I just always remember that and, and appreciate him telling me that. I don't want to exceed my time with your with you here. Oh no, it's so, fine. So I just want to make sure I can ask a couple more here because that's sure. your time's more important. Oh no, it's great. No, um, so people, of course, since we're here, just initial thoughts on Penn State going in. Um, I'm excited. It's going to be a bounce back year. You know, I, I don't think they ever recovered from that. That, uh, that, that was it a two pointer? I can't remember. If it was a touchdown or yeah, a two pointer? Yeah, it was a two point right? conversion. Yeah. Yeah, I, and and I mean we could sit here still and watch that video. If you're a Penn State fan, it's it's. I was watching it. I was like, you know, there's no way he's in, and I I I wasn't rooting for either team, but right. Um, they ended up obviously calling it good, and and I think it really. If they if they get the call go the other way and they got Ohio State at home, who knows? I mean, yeah. I don't know if they beat Ohio State, but right. I think it would have been a different season. And I think with everything else going on with COVID and contact tracing and I think some of these teams when they hit got some bad news I think there was they were more fragile than a, than a typical year and you know Sean obviously didn't have a great year and, and if your quarterback's not consistent um, especially in that kind of offense it's, it's going to be tough I don't know if the OC was a great fit you know I think yeah. that was that was kind of a tough deal mm-hmm. um I think Mike coming over, I think people will really like what he does. And, and I know the beneficiary will be Sean Clifford because of the way he communicates and, and the way he likes to attack. Um, so I, I expect uh, a bounce back year. I mean, it's, it's exciting to me because they play Wisconsin, who didn't have a great year themselves a year ago. And you talk about you know, no preseason football, no non-conference <laughs> games. You open up at Camp Randall, and if we have fans, I mean, yeah. game on. Of all yeah. the games yeah. and all the first week, that to me, and I'll probably talk about it on game day, is one of the more interesting matchups of the entire opening weekend because of the way the two teams played a year ago because they don't get Ball State and Villanova and others to get ready to play a, a game of that magnitude. So. If if Sean's more consistent, which I expect him to be in this offense, um, I think Penn State will be one of the great stories of bouncing back from from what happened a year ago. Uh, one final general question on football, then I'll get back to one last question of the book. Then I'll let you go if that's okay. And the general sure. one is Texas Oklahoma, of course, make the seismic move to the SEC, which not going to happen now, but we all know it's been approved. There's a lot of talk about the 12 team playoff, so we're are you right now with college football and do we have to remember what what made college football great to have to allow it to go forward well i think we have to right i mean i i think um i think the sport is very different from the other sports that we all follow i mean yes. we, we love them all but the the pageantry the tailgating the sense of community, whether you're in State College or Columbus or Austin, Texas or Tallahassee, the sense of community when those six or seven Saturdays a year come around, uh, the way people get together, they, they have the same parking spot that they've had since 1984 or whatever, you know, whatever it is, and and the bands and the cheerleaders and the student section, I mean, it just, can you say that about any other sport out there? No. And so if, if we lose sight of that, 
then I think we're in big trouble. There's going to be, as you say, seismic changes, and it's it's happening. It had happened, you know, years ago, and it's continuing to happen. the 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 big thing I think is where do we go from here? Is the Big Twelve gone? I mean, what happens to Kansas State? Right. What happens to Iowa State? Where where are all these teams going to go? Um, are we headed to a four conference like mega conference, and they pull out of the NCAA, create their own world, their own legislative body? And governing body, and is that is that where we're headed? Are we, are we going to do away with the NCAA for the power uh, conferences? I don't know. It feels kind of like that. It feels like Texas and Oklahoma were two big dominoes that have just fallen, and it's putting Kevin Warren and these other conference commissioners at a position of: Are you on offense? Are you on defense? Are you trying to hold on to teams? Or are you trying to go out and, and grow? So. It's going to be in five years from now, Steve, if we had this conversation, I think we're going to obviously know a lot more. Yeah. But right now, it's all we know is change is coming, even more change is coming. And I just hope that, that uh, fans, players with name, image, and likeness, the transfer portal, we just don't get away from what's made this game mm. so great for, for so many decades. The book is entitled Out of the Pocket, uh, Atria Books. Uh, it comes out on the 17th, but you can pre-order the book. And I believe Barnes & Nobles will be one of the carriers of the book as well. So we will make sure everyone yep. understands all of that going into it. Um, it. And it goes through everything. And it'll be there'll be a part of the book I'll be able to relate to as well. I believe your, your dad had Alzheimer's passed away yeah. mine at alzheimer's yep. passed away so there'll be yeah. en- enough that a lot of people from a lot of different areas even if you're not a deep college football fan you'll be able to re- relate to because of life so kirk best of luck with this book i'm really glad you wrote it i can't wait to read it and thanks so much for the valuable time you gave us today oh man Th- thank you for uh for allowing me to come on with you to talk about it and talk a little college football and Hopefully we'll see you real soon, man. I can't wait to get college football going where we can talk about games. And yes. Look forward to seeing you at a, at a game soon. Yeah, absolutely, Kirk. Appreciate it and look forward to seeing you as well. Thank you. Okay, thanks a lot. Kirk Herbstreet. Neil Coolong, final half hours. We continue on News Radio 1070 WKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC Way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC Way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC Way? The SMC Way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15, Hummels Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai. 
best in new inventory, great selection of pre-owned inventory, fabulous sales staff, service department to back it all up. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15, Hummels Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Let's uh, check in now and talk about the Steelers for a few minutes with Neil Kulong. Sir, welcome back. It's great to be here as always. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's great to have you. Feeling better, I'm by the way? Swinging away. Feeling better? <laughs> I am. I am. Good. That, um, I got over whatever summer or summer sinus style allergy thing that came in and and, uh, getting ready to get into the season. All right, so let's get to uh, some of the panic topics, uh, you know, of which anybody in training camp that follows everything on a minute-by-minute basis, they panic on a minute-by-minute basis. I just wait for the opener and see what happens. Uh, So let's start with Kevin Dotson. Uh, Mike Tomlin is not a kind of guy that, that just randomly calls out people. So when it comes to Kevin Dotson, he's been rather blunt in his assessment. What's your thought on Kevin Dotson? I think it's funny. From what Tomlin said, my impression more is that Tomlin was lashing out at the the hordes of fans that seem to think that he's uh, an all pro level player. Um, <laughs> I I think he's he's more exasperated with why there are constant questions about a second year player who played six games last season. Um, and was automatically written in blood into their starting left guard position. Um, I think Dotson is probably the guy that, that's going to end up in that spot. But, you know, as, as the adage goes, you can't make the club from the tub. Uh, he, he's got to get out there. And Tomlin was saying he's not on first team yet because he hasn't practiced. Um, they're, they're not just giving him the job. There were kind of, you know, shots fired this offseason when, you know, a report came out that some people didn't think that Dotson was working all that hard. Um, I, I can't. You know, ascertain the, the validity of any of that, but there's a reason they're saying it, and I, I think some of the reason probably could be because they don't think he's working that hard. You know, <laughs> maybe that's it. Maybe uh, Dotson's not the player that uh, Pro Football Focus determined that he was after six games. Maybe fans took that uh, a bit further than they should have uh, in terms of of his evaluation. Uh, I, I think he's a solid player. I. I you know, you, you probably don't remember this, I'm sure. I said on your show, I, I really like him as a fourth-round pick. Mm-hmm. I, I thought he was going to be right. the, the most likely standout player down the line. This kid's a starter. He's going to be good. Um, there's some work that he needs to put in, and they're, they're in the process of that. He, he's not a, a Pro Bowl-level player today. Um, if and when he earns the starting job, he will have earned it on the field, not through his reputation off the field. Um, I, I think people have gone probably too far with that in terms of their evaluation of him um he's loved in social media i I get that uh there's a lot more that goes into it i think that is kind of where tomlin is coming from um in in speaking about him the young player he hasn't really earned anything yet um he'll get the opportunity to do that uh once he gets on the field and he hasn't really done that to a a high level yet well that's the old you know the legendary Red Smith, a reporter, went up to him at, at the Masters one day and said, look, I'm new to this. Tell me, you know, any advice you can give me. He said, quote, be there. <laughs> okay? Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. You could, tw- you could tweet all you want, right? If you're not getting in a three-point stance, you are of no value to the offensive line if you're tweeting and not in a three-point stance. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's largely what it comes At the very least, it's the first thing. 
and you can't look at the other things if he doesn't have the first thing. So it, it, I don't think it's a criticism of Dotson um, too much outside of I think there's something to be said about a, a general, you know, kind of cautionary statement to anybody there that, you know, this is not a, a, a pain-free sport. You're going to have to play through some things. Um, you're not just going to get a job if you're not participating in training camp either, especially not if you're a young player. Um, yes, I understand what that opens up as far as T.J. Watt is concerned, but Kevin Dotson is not T.J. Watt. So let, let's see. I, I think there are some breaks that can be pumped. I think there's still some preseason games to be played. they got some time left at camp. Um, we'll, we'll see what he's able to do. And, and like you started this off with, let's see what happens come week one. I don't think it's over yet, but they're not just going to give him the job either. All right. Uh, next up, uh, let's talk about Watt for a moment. Uh, there are no uh, there are no holdouts anymore. They're hold-ins because look, the teams, like the fifty thousand dollar fine. To be honest with you, is as much of a pain in the neck to the team as it is to the player. I mean, I don't think a lot of people really just don't feel like going through the paperwork and what and the collection and all that. They don't want to do it, so they have hold-ins. So Watt's not, you know, how do you look at the Watt contract situation? And you know, and should they be giving him twenty-seven, thirty million dollars a year? That, that's a um Lots of layers to this. Yes. Um, first and foremost, yeah, the hold-in thing. Um, I, I think it's hilarious that Watt is being um, viciously defended by the fan base and suggesting he's not doing that. Um, they're just saving him for the season. No, 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 no. no. no he's, uh, he's doing is, it because of money. Is going into, <laughs> okay. Watt is going into an option year. Yeah, uh, that's going to pay him ten million dollars, and you could make the legitimate argument that that is one third of his market value. He does not have a contract beyond this season right now. He is also not a free agent uh, until he would get through that season and the mm-hmm. team wouldn't do anything with him, primarily use the franchise tag. Yep. This is the only sliver of leverage that he has at this point, and it isn't much. Um, yeah. if, if it's something where he has to show up, because keep in mind, too, according to the, the CBA that was signed last year, there are mandatory fines. Teams can't even waive the fine anymore. That's they right. have to be fined. So him showing up and being there is literally the least amount that he can do so he doesn't get fined. Uh, that's what he's doing. He would not be at training camp um, in, in, in a different situation. Um, if, if the fines could be waived and he had the confidence that the team wasn't going to fine him, which honestly wouldn't surprise me for the reasons that you mentioned, I think it's, it's more of a hassle than it should be. The position that they're in, it makes sense. They don't want him hurt either. Whether he signs an extension or not, he's still their player this year and they need him. And they can tag him the year after that. So really, he's not under contract, but he, he's under uh, control of the Steelers. They're not going to jeopardize that um, over training camp. You know, they, they, they probably just wouldn't do it. Um, all of that said, Watt's market value is probably uh, best comparatively um, spoken for right now by uh, Joey Bosa's contract with the Chargers. That is something to the effect of, I believe it's it's 135 million with 102 million um, guaranteed, with like 72 million guaranteed at signing over five years. Watt. You're going to have a tough time telling me that, that Joey Bosa has been better than, than Watt has at this point. Um, the big guys you pay both for what they're going to do and what they've done. The normal guys, it, it's, it's what you're going to do with some degree of what you've done. But by and large, 
a guy like Watt is you're going to pay me the top of the market because I'm worth the top of the market, and you really can't argue with that. So mm-hmm. uh, overall, um, 27 to 30, I think, is is um, a, a little probably a bit of a stretch. I can understand if that's Watt's side opening uh, offer. Um, I don't think they're going to land at that. But then again, uh, average per year can be manipulated a lot of different ways. Um, I don't think that's the end-all uh, factor in what he would want to sign. I think they're, what they're going to want to look at is the, the $102 million guaranteed. Right. Uh, what he's being paid over the first three years of his contract is typically what they're really going to look at. Um, in, in guarantees, meaning uh, roster bonuses, which for all intents and purposes is a full guarantee in second year because they're not going to cut him after one year. I'm pretty, pretty confident in that. Um, that kind of money is what Watt is, is most likely to look to, to put up on top of what uh, Bose is getting paid. So 115, 120, something like that, uh, that would probably put him in the range of 25, 26 APY. Um, I'll, I'll bottom line it for you. The Steelers are going to pay a lot of money uh, to keep T.J. Watt there. So counter to that, what the Steelers are going to think is, I've got Watt right now on $10 million for this year. I've got him under the tag next year, which is probably going to be, call it 18. So that's two years for $28 million. A second tag is 120% of, right. of his previous salary, which in this case was 18. That's 21.6. So you're looking at, do, do the math for me here, three years, 50-some million dollars. That's half of what he's asking for today. So, to me, it seems like the Steelers are are plenty inclined um, to sit back and say, we have leverage on you because we're comfortable today with the idea of giving you a second franchise tag in two years. That's where all this kind of falls apart because both sides have uh, something of a legitimate claim uh, to the stances that they're taking. And I'm guessing that that's why a long-term deal is in place. Um, Nor do I expect there one to be one unless the Steelers drastically change uh, how they're paying players. Um, the Steelers, we've talked about this a bunch, they don't give out large signing bonuses. All right, well, T.J. Watt's going to want a large signing bonus because that's what Joey Bosa got. Um, what they typically do is they give roster bonuses and then restructure a contract to give them a, a, an upfront payment in March each year. T.J. Watt can probably argue that you know, I'm not going to do that because, well, I'm worth a lot more than that. Give me the money up front. Um, you might remember Le'Veon Bell trying something yes. similar to this, right. and the Steelers dug in and tagged him twice. So it, 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 to me, it really doesn't look like a, a, an entirely optimistic situation um, for Watt to stay in Pittsburgh. Um, Watt would probably have to be willing to back off of his market value in order to sign that contract, which isn't, you know, atypical of uh, your typical contract negotiations. You know, it, it, it's, it's in line with that. Um, people use the proverbial uh, hometown discount. I, I don't necessarily think he's I'm – not, I'm, I'm not trying to suggest that he wouldn't take something of a hometown discount. It's just that right. his retail value in free agency is what he's asking for. Uh, the Steelers need to be pretty close to that to, to keep him interested. Otherwise – He's not going to, and he's not going to participate in camp. Um, he plays this year. He, again, is a top three defensive player the way that he has been. Um, he's going to ask for more because now you wasted his time. You made him go into this, and he's one step away from free agency. That will, no doubt, bring the franchise tag into play, and then he's probably not going to sign the franchise tag, so he's not going to be in camp at all next year. 
Right. Where are you then? What what have you gained from it? Mm-hmm. Um, it it's it, it, it's a very narrow path right now, and I think both sides are going to need to give quite a bit in order to get a deal done. And I'm not sure if either side is going to feel that that is in their best interest right now to do. So I, I wouldn't expect a deal. Um, and I, I would expect them to be tagged next year and the situation getting a lot more volatile than what we're looking at today. All right, so now let's uh, move over to James Washington. Um, uh, he's at least suggested somewhere that he wants to be traded. You know, if I'm running the team, I wish him the best and, you know, adios. Uh, but they're, they're not going to do that. How do you view James Washington? I think James Washington is a, a, a solid player. I think he's a good no NFL question. receiver with no some experience. Question. No um, question. I don't think he's going to have to work very hard to get a contract somewhere in the NFL next year. Uh, I don't think that contract is going to be in Pittsburgh. But here's the thing. Um, the tricky thing with depth is you have it until you need it. Yeah. If Chase Claypool gets hurt, James Washington plays, and maybe the offense continues, but they have no depth at that spot anymore. Right. Um, that's all contingent upon Chase Claypool getting hit. Now, I'm not sure about anybody else, but if you watch Chase Claypool against Dallas, he looks pretty good. Um, I, I think he's going to have a big year. They used him in a lot of different ways. Um, he's more versatile overall than Washington is. He's twice his size. Uh, he's a better athlete. Um, I would think he's going to be a prominent member of their offense, meaning Washington isn't getting it out of the field. But Washington's value to the team is still pretty high because you need to back that up. Somebody else needs to be there ready to play in case uh, uh, Claypool can't play 17 straight games. So that combined with what Washington's value is as a player, there's no way Pittsburgh is going to get the kind of return that they would need to sacrifice that level of depth uh, currently on their team. A trade won't happen. It just it, it can't. I get why Washington, whether he did request a trade or not, or whether his representation said something to somebody about it. Um, keep in mind, there's no formal process of requesting a trade. You know, it, right. it's made out to be like it's some type of application. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So to, to say to say that he did not request a trade means very little to me. Um, the situation speaks highly to the, to, to the possibility that the good player buried on the depth chart in the final year of his contract would want to play somewhere else. I That, to me, is totally understandable. I get it, but the, the Steelers aren't going to trade him, um, not without getting blown away by an offer. But who's giving up much for a guy that can't start for his own team and is, is a free agent in a year? Why wouldn't they just wait a year to, to sign him there where they'd probably have to spend a lot less? Um, he's not going to be traded. I get why he might want to be, but really this is kind of a situation where, like, Let's find a way to get him a little bit more involved. Let's find a way to, to you know, be reasonable with the fact that he's a good player. Maybe there are things mm-hmm. that they can do with right. both Washington and Claypool on the field. Um, to me, that that's where that conversation is going. Um, I, I don't think it's an issue. Washington has never been anything less than a professional in his yes. time in Pittsburgh. Very true. Um, and be be fair to the guy. You know, he wants to make money. He's not going to get a chance to do that this season. You could understand why he might want to go somewhere else. And it's not personal. Um, I, I feel like he's going to play the role that, that he needs to play. I feel like they're going to get him you know, some opportunities to get some film so we can go sign somewhere this, this offseason and, and you know, make a good life for himself. Um, all of that said, Pittsburgh really doesn't have any desire to trade him. I can't imagine that they would, and I don't think any team would give up uh, what they'd want now because they need him now. They don't need a draft pick now. They, they need a player on the field. 
Um, and they, they don't want to have a, a complete lack of insurance with a player that I think is going to get the ball quite a bit this season. Joe Hayden. <laughs> we might as well take care of all the uh, – might as well solve every problem we can as quickly as we can. Yeah, I think I think Joe Hayden jumped in, you know, seeing the, the way the winds were blowing. It's like, well, everyone else is asking. I'm going to ask, too. <laughs> Good. Um, Go for it. There's, there's no way Hayden would get an extension right now. Um, scheduled to make $8 million. He has a salary cap number of 14. Uh, Hayden's far closer to being cut than he is being extended. Yep. Um, I, I, I think Hayden's a solid player. Hayden's not what, what the fan base thinks that he is. He's a great guy. He's a leader. I get all of that. Um, they obviously want him on the team. But I said this offseason, something is going to happen to the contract of either Steven Nelson or Joe Hayden. And to be honest, I could see it being a cut as much as I could see it being an extension. Yep. They don't like the cap numbers for both of these guys entering into the final year of their contract. They're going to have to change one of them, and I'm not sure which one it is. turns out that that was Nelson. Um, I, I think cutting him wasn't as big a surprise as a lot of people suggested that it was just because of where his cap number was and what Nelson can probably get on the open market. Uh, Hayden does not have the luxury of that. He's older. Uh, his play is not the same as it was three years ago. Um, I'm not saying that they won't re-sign him next year, but they're absolutely not going to give him an extension now. If they did, sign for $2 million. You know, We might give you that. Uh, even that's kind of a stretch. He'd be ridiculous to, to want to do that. So both sides are going to wait. Um, it's a good idea to get it on the radar publicly to get the fans kind of talking about it. I see why uh, Hayden and his agent Drew Rosenhaus would want to do that, but it, it's it's a non-issue. Um, mm-hmm. If anything, if they approach Hayden about a contract, it's going to be a pay cut. Uh, I don't think they're going to do that, but if anything, that's the direction that they would go right now. It's not an extension for sure. Well, that was uh, quick and to the point and enjoyable. Thank you, sir. As always, appreciate you, Neil, very much. Definitely. Thanks for having me. All right. Neil Kulong, wrap up in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Our thanks to Kirk Herbstreet, Alyssa Nair, Neil Kulong for being on the show today. Check it out on the Steve Jones Show podcast if you missed any of it here on News Radio 1070 WKOK.